So it's great to be here. Um, I'm delighted to be jumping in on your series, which I am aware of. Let me read the scripture that's uh, kind of set in what you're doing at the moment. It's from, um, excuse me, this has happened since the last time I was here. These. I fought it all my life, but I finally caved in. Uh, otherwise, I can't read. Um, anyway, this is the scripture you're in in Daniel. It says this, But the people that do, not, do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Uh, what a great passage for a, for a scripture. So I'm just here today to add something to that and hopefully strengthen you. I do believe I have a word for you as individuals. Also, I believe this word is applicable to you as a church and as a leadership, so you can take that and weigh it, but I believe this is going to be the word of the Lord for, for where you're at, and to give you strength in going into this next season, which is going to be immense. I'd even say ostentatious, because I know what that means, and it's one of the biggest words I know. So um, you're going to have a great, a great future, so it's great jumping in on this. I'll tell you in a moment what I'm going to share on, but I just want to share a quick uh, story with you before I do, which will kind of set this in its place. Um, a little while ago, I was having some issues with my back. Nothing serious. I've never had an accident, or uh, clearly I don't play sports, so I, you know, it's not a sporting injury. But I, I just with traveling and airplanes and cars and sitting down most of my life in, you know, in office seats, um, I was having twinges in my back, lower back and upper back. So I went to a chiropractor. Um, any chiropractors in the room just before I launch into my story? There is. Where by? Hands up if you're a chiropractor. No, oh, good, I can say whatever I want. Um, I've got to be honest with you, I thought chiropractors were like rip-off merchants. Because I'd had friends who had gone once to get their back fixed, and they get put on a plan, a maintenance plan. Like as if they can't fix you in one go, although I thought they could, and they just drag it out so they can take you money. That's what I thought going in. Uh, I was wrong, uh, but that, that was my background in going in. Anyway, I go in. And I thought this guy was just going to, you know, manipulate my back and that was it. But, oh no, you know, big fuss. I had to have an appointment. I had to get scanned by this infrared thing, which, which then he copied, um, put it on a big screen, and showed me in infrared, or what, whatever they called it, you know, how I looked. And I thought I looked fairly normal, but on this thing, I kind of walked like that and like that. And uh, I thought it was Quasimodo when he put it up. But, um, and he, he told me what was wrong, and I thought, he was a genuine guy, so I, I thought, I'll believe you, and I ended up going on a maintenance plan um, for a short period of time. And uh, anyway, he fixed my back. But what was amazing, uh, I didn't know how much was tied uh, to your proper alignment in your body. I thought it was just, you know, pop some discs, get your backbone straight, you know, and you're good to go. But the whole nervous system, Loads of conditions that manifest in your body that have got, seemingly got nothing to do with your back are all linked to whether your spine is in proper alignment or not. And as, as I said, I, I wasn't in bad shape, but I was out of alignment. And this guy, what he did over a course of weeks and uh, several months actually, is he put my back back in place and brought everything back into alignment so that I could function properly. And I did feel a difference, not just in my back, but in other areas of my life, muscles, nerves, you know, different things, um, even clarity of thinking, believe it or not, because it can affect all those things. And when I was going through this, I just was reminded by the Holy Spirit that from time to time, all of us need, just through life, we can get out of alignment on the things that matter in life. That doesn't mean you sinned. As I said, I didn't have a big sporting injury. Doesn't mean you sinned or messed up. 
But just through doing life, ministering to people, you can just get out of alignment on a few things. And it's so important that from time to time, we just look you know, at ourselves and make sure we're in alignment. Because sometimes when little things are off, it's just not that little thing that's off. It manifests in other areas of life and causes us problems. And so, I mean, I'm not here to talk directly about that today, because you can apply that to so many areas of life, marriage, health, you walk with the Lord, your commitment to a local church's vision, you know, and being planted in the house. Um, but one of the areas in particular I want to draw attention to today, and this is what I want to share on, is I want to share on like the, almost the ABCs of walking in faith. And sometimes, doesn't matter how long you've walked with the Lord, because some of you would have heard this stuff before, probably not like I'm going to present it, but you would have heard the principles. And it's not that you've heard them. Oftentimes, you need to be reminded of them so you can be established in them. I think it was Paul in Second Thessalonians, he wrote to the church and said, I'm writing to remind you of something that you're already established in so that you may know it. In other words, he's writing something they've already got, but he's writing to reaffirm it and bring alignment to it again so that they can function and flow in it properly. And I think in our lives, I guarantee you, every single one of you needs faith to live your life. In fact, you can't live life as a believer properly without faith, because we walk by faith, not by sight. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So I want to talk to you this morning through a couple of stories, just the ABCs of walking in faith. And again, my trajectory on this is to add strength to you uh, for your journey. So come with me to a couple of scriptures, if you would. First of all, come with me to Matthew chapter 14. I'm just going to read predominantly two portions of scripture, and I'll draw some stuff out of this as we go. So it's Matthew chapter 14, um, and we'll read from verse 22. Just say something when you get there. So whether you're on paper or electronic device, uh, come with me and I'm going to comment on this story. It's a story you'll be familiar with. It says this, Verse 22 of Matthew chapter 14, immediately Jesus made the disciples get out of the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. We're going to read a similar story, not identical in a moment, where similar things are referenced. But basically, I want to start by saying this, and this is how we walk in faith. Because walking in faith means this, you get the promise, and then you have that in-between bit before you have the fulfillment of the promise. And that's where we've got to be strong in our faith and navigate life and navigate our own souls and our own hearts to make sure we can get over as quickly as we can. And it's that bit in between. It's like the trapeze, the trapeze artist. You know, when he leaves go of one pole and he's swinging through the air, it's that moment when you're in the air holding on to nothing that you hope the timing of the other guy um, is going to be the same as yours. So when you actually land, you're going to land on a bar. And that's what, like, that's what walking in faith is like. It's like that moment in the air, you know, where you've gone out on a promise and you're waiting for the fulfillment, but you've got to fill the bit in in the middle. And that's where we need faith. So this story starts like this. Jesus tells them in this story on the next one, he basically says, go on over to the other side. And I want to say this just really quickly at the beginning. If God gives you a word in your life that you're going to go over and metaphorically, that speaks of inheriting your promised land, taking the promises, etc., just to get in a hold of what God's told you to do. If God's told you you're going to go over, you can't and don't have to go under. Everybody understand that? And that's what a promise is like. Basically, it tells you where you're at right now is not where you're staying, and you're going to go there. And 
if you keep your eyes on there, and because God says you can go there, you're not going to go under for going over. And that's the first position we stand in faith when God speaks to us. You know, you see a future. I'm sure you've got, I know you've got prophetic words about what God wants to do with you through this building. You might not see it manifest right now. You're in the beginnings of that peace that, like, you know, we've crossed over. There's going to be amazing where we are, you know, but now you're navigating through the process of transition to get there. So you've got the promise, and whatever God said to you, you're going to get, and you're going to inherit, inherit it, because you can't go under if God says you're going to go over. So this story goes on. So that's where everything begins for us, is with a promise. So he says, go on ahead to the other side, and I'll, he dismissed the crowd. And uh, watch this with me, because this is where your faith first gets tested. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. Verse 24, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land. In other words, they were on their way to being over and, already, and so far had not gone under. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land. And it says this, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Can you all say Buffeted. I look at your neighbor, say, buffeted, not buffeted. You get buffeted after this meeting, but they were buffeted. Buffeted means this, to strike repeatedly and violently and to batter. So they were buffeted by the waves because the wind was against them. Let me just say this. One of the first things that happens to you when you have a promise from God, the first thing that happens after you've maybe walked a day or a week or so in strong faith, is something will happen in your life to buffet you. Circumstance and winds will be against you because they want to take the promise of God out of you. It always happens. When you get a promise, I guarantee you, within days or weeks, circumstance will happen, people will happen, situations will happen to rob you of what God has said um, but if you can understand this is part of the process of walking in faith, then you can understand it, appreciate, for what, appreciate it for what it is, remind yourself that I'm not going to go under if God says I'm going to go over, and you can handle it. It goes like this. You're in a church meeting on a Sunday morning. You know, at the end, you and your wife go out, you get ministered to, get prophesied over how God's going to bless you, and, you know, your life's going to be wonderful, and your marriage is going to be enriched. And then you leave, and uh, your wife goes off shopping for the day, uh, for the afternoon, and you get in the car, and then you drive in, and then the muffler falls off. So bad that you can't drive it. So you've got to phone a tow truck. You know, so you're already thinking, well, we're $300 for a fix in this, $50 for a tow truck, and $350 down, and I've just had this word that God wants to bless us. And then when you eventually get home, you know, you get in, go to have a shower, turn the shower on, and the water heater goes out. And then you're really crotchety. Then you, you, know, you go into the laundry room to throw your uh, sweaty clothes into the washing machine, and the washing machine breaks. And then, you know, this is like, like adding insult to injury. And then you come downstairs, and your wife waltzes in, having been shop, shopping to the outlet mall, you know, with bags of clothes. And you're thinking, my muffler fell off. I need a new water heater. Uh, we're going to have to fix the washing machine. And you're like, how much did you spend on clothes? Well, those are going right back in the morning. And she goes, uh-uh. And then you have a row with your wife because she's spending money you don't think she should spend. And then all of a sudden, you're kicking the dog. Um, 
never kick a dog if you've got a cat. Cat are always the first to go. So you kick something, you have a big bust up with your wife, and you lie in bed at the end of the night, and you're thinking, I thought God told us we weren't going to go under, we were going to go over. And all this broke loose. And if you're not careful, that's the thing that comes and robs you from having the guts to press through into what God has told you. And if you're not mature in your faith, you'll find that you'll go backwards, not forwards. You'll begin to sink rather than just understanding it for what it is and dealing with it. Because if you want to grow in faith, and we all want to grow in faith, you have to have resistance to your faith so that your faith will grow. Again, I'm not a gym person, but I do understand this much about lifting weights. If you want to develop muscle, you have to increase the weight resistance that you use in to bench press or deadlift or whatever other movements there are in that world. And uh, you have to have stronger resistance to build your muscle. That's exactly what faith is like. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ, but then circumstance of life happens and you have to, if you want your faith to grow, you're probably going to have a bigger test than the previous one because you need greater resistance to go from faith to faith and one degree of glory to another. And so if you understand that, when it happens, you can appreciate it for what it is. Sometimes it's an enemy just buffeting your body and uh, causing winds to be against you and you need to discern that. And I'll come back to that in the next story. Sometimes it's got nothing to do with an enemy. It's just life. And a lot of the time, this might surprise you, it's actually God permitting you to have resistance so that he can test his word in you, because God is not so much interested in giving you the miracle as he is in the process of getting to the miracle and maturing you in your faith. I think that's always God's number one goal, and you'll see that in how he worked with the disciples, testing them all the time, giving them opportunities to grow. And when they didn't, he said, why did you lack in faith? Where was your faith? Are you still hard-hearted? And so God oftentimes in our life will arrange things just to test in us what he's given us to see whether we'll believe what he's saying or whether we'll just get locked up by circumstances and begin to sink and cry, you know, save me. So the story goes on. So understand that. You will have this buffeting in your life if you got a word from God. Verse 25 says this. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When his disciples saw him, can everyone say saw? Say it again with some passion. Try and say it with a Welsh accent. No, let's forget that one. Um, When his disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. Let me just say this real quick. It's interesting that what you see brings either fear or faith to your life. When they saw him, please bear in mind, these are not the most discerning people on the planet right now. You know, they've been with Jesus for many years, seen miracles, and Jesus is walking on the water. And when they see him, they get gripped with fear because basically they saw, they saw the wrong thing. And it says, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified because they saw the wrong thing. It brought fear. And it says, it's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. It's interesting. You know, these are supposed to be discerning people. Um, And they see Jesus, and I don't know how they got this wrong. They thought he was a ghost. You know, most new believers have more discernment than that. You know, is this Jesus or or the devil? Usually you can tell. And uh, so they weren't the most discerning or the sharpest knives in the boat. And um, But what they saw resulted in a corresponding action. 
And this is another way an enemy will work in your life. He wants your gaze, and he also wants your ears. Because what you see and what you hear will determine whether there's fear in your heart or faith in your heart. And in a moment, we'll see the faith dynamic of this. But let me just say real quick, the devil is not that creative. Most of his tactics are counterfeits of what the genuine version of walking in the kingdom is. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. Faith comes by seeing the right thing in Scripture. But the reverse is true, and an enemy will exploit this. If you can get your eyes on the wrong thing, in other words, instead of going over, use the waves, here's the wind that's against you, you can see it, you can hear it. Now, I can, he can get fear in your heart if you put your attention on the wrong things. And then you start to go down. And so what you see and what you hear in walking with faith is massively important. So in this story, it goes on to say, they say it's a ghost and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. In other words, he's drawing attention back to them seeing the right thing. Listen, I'm not a ghost, and this is how you take courage. It's me. You need to see the me in this. I'm the one that told you you can go over, so you're not going to go under. So stop looking at the circumstances that cause fear and cause you to think you're going under, and just see me and hear my voice. And he says this. Um, he said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And you find Jesus always deals with this with people. He wants them to have faith, but equally he wants you to not be afraid or do not fear. Do you know roughly 365 times in the scriptures we find words like this, don't fear, don't worry, don't fret. And the reason I think there's 365 of them is God gave us a new promise for every day of the year, just in case we forgot the one from yesterday. So basically, you can wake up every day with a fresh, fresh promise which says the same thing. Don't fear, don't worry, don't be anxious about your life, but basically see and hear the right thing and put your faith in me. And um, it say, he says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. So he's trying to deal with this thing in them. And then the story goes on and teaches us the same principle with what Peter does. It says this, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. I mean, a bit of a ridiculous thing to ask for if you think about it. You know, they were just beginning to sink. They thought Jesus was a ghost. When they start seeing properly and hearing properly, first thing out of Peter's mouth is, Lord, tell me to come to you on the water. And again, don't be too tough on Peter because he did actually walk on water. She says, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. Watch this again, verse 30. But when he saw, everyone say saw. When he saw the wind... And you can't really see the wind, you see the effects of the wind. In other words, what he was doing to the ocean. Um, probably the noise of the wind around him. He was afraid. Here we go again. Where you fix your eyes will either keep you in fear and being afraid, or keep you in faith and belief. When he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Watch this. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and deals with this heart issue again. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Same thing again that they've learned or should have learned in the boat in going over. Peter's taken into a, you know, a personal encounter, and he does exactly the same thing again. He has one word from Jesus, which was come. And you know in life, that's all you need. You don't need a book or a paragraph you know, or a thesis 
sometimes one word from God is enough, and it's come, or go, or two words, be strong, four words, and courageous. Just simple things from God are enough to sustain you to go over and not have to go under. And so the big lesson about the boat is brought down into a personal lesson with Peter, and he does exactly the same thing again. First of all, he sees and hears the right thing. He sees Jesus and hears him say, come. And then as he's going, his focus shifts, and he sees the wind. He hears the wind. He sees its effect. And as soon as he switches focus, fear enters his heart, and he begins to sink. And here's the grace and the beauty of Jesus. Immediately, he reached out his hand, took him to save him, but, but said this to him. Here's a teaching. Again, it's the process God is more interested in than the miracle in and of itself. He says, you have little faith, and you'll always find Jesus measuring faith in Scripture. You have great faith. You have little faith. Why did you have no faith? I have never seen in Israel such great faith. And he says, you have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And here's the contrast again. Doubting takes you out of faith and into fear. So one of the quickest ways to get from here to going over is simply don't live in fear and don't doubt and understand that when you embark on a promise from God, sometimes all hell will break loose. And that's okay if you can understand the process and you don't look at the circumstances, you don't look at the problem, you don't look at sickness that's still maybe manifesting in your body, you don't look at the zeros in your bank account, although you're not ignorant to them, you have to deal with them, but you look at the promise and the miracle and you don't allow fear in and you don't let the, the buffeting of life take you down because God said you're going to go over. And the quickest way to get there is to stay in faith and walk this journey in faith. Now again, you're in the world, so there's some things you can't help but see and hear. And there's a lovely story, and I'll finish this part on this little story. It's a story that's found in Luke chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 9. And it's the story of Jairus. You all remember that story? where he comes to Jesus, I think he had a 12-year-old daughter, and she was really sick. And he, uh, he says to Jesus, can you come and heal her? So Jesus says, I will come. On his way, he encounters the woman with the issue of blood, you know, and she pulls something out of Jesus, touched virtue in him, and she got healed. And he's on his way, and as he's on his way, you know, and he's told Jairus, I'm coming to your house, and I'm going to pray for your daughter, and obviously the outcome was going to be healing. And as he's on his way, some people that worked for or hung out with Jairus came and said this, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your little girl is dead. You think, well, that's final. You know, that's not even beginning to sink. That's you going down for the third time and taking your final gulp, and this is all over. So death words are spoken into a situation, and you've all been here, you know, when something seems so final you know, there's no wiggle room for God to move. And Jesus does something quite remarkable in the sto story. He turns to the synagogue official, and in the Amplified Bible it says this, Jesus, overhearing but ignoring, said to Jairus, do not doubt, just believe, because what I've said will happen. So Jesus overhears but ignores the significance of what's being said, and helps Jairus' father by saying this, don't doubt, don't be gripped with fear. In other words, don't take your eyes off what I've told you. You're not going to go under because we're going over. And he says, just believe and it will happen.
Anyway, they get to the house, and they've already got the professional mourners there, because in that day, and I think in some cultures today, they still do this, that when someone dies, you hire professional mourners to come to the house. Uh, it also says in the correspondence scripture that there were pipers there, you know, playing somber music to set the death mood so everybody could get in the mourning state and begin to wail and begin to cry. Let me just say that's not a New Testament ministry gift. If you have the gift of wailing, um, you, you've heard from a wrong spirit, that is not God in any way, shape, or form. Um, so don't be a wailer, and don't be a, 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 a stealer of people's faith. Anyway, it's, again, remarkable to me what Jesus does. The girl's dead. He says, don't worry, the girl is just asleep. If you don't doubt, just believe what I've said is going to happen. So he gets to the house, and it's interesting what Jesus does. He gets all the wailers and the pipe players and the commotion out of the house. And him, the mum and dad, and Peter, James, and John were the only ones allowed in. And this is what Jesus did. And this is what you have to do in your life sometimes. He knew he was going to work a miracle. But when he got there, the atmosphere clearly was not conducive for a miracle to be worked. So Jesus, in working a miracle, because miracles are always worked, that's why the gift mentioned in Scripture is not just miracle worker, but it's the working of miracles. So you work a miracle. So the first thing Jesus does is he gets out of the situation, all the wailers, the mourning, the bad music playing, probably country music, actually. So he gets all this. That's what it says in the second book of opinions, if you want to read the corresponding Scripture. And uh, he, he gets all the mourners out and sets the atmosphere, sets faith. And in your life from time to time, if you're surrounded, especially when you're believing for a miracle, careful who's around your life and has voice into your hearing and paints pictures on the canvas of your heart by what you see and what you hear from them. And don't try and change those people in moments like this and moments you need faith. You just get them out of your house out of your environment, out of earshot, and you surround yourself with people of faith that say the same thing and agree with you, and you keep yourself out of fear, and you keep yourself in faith, and you just keep believing. And the story, as you know, he raises the girl from the dead, says to her parents, give us something to eat, and uh, a miracle is worked. But it's interesting, it begins to me with this. Jesus heard the report that was going to be devastating to this man. And it says, overhearing but ignoring. And that's how you live life. You can't come out from the world in the sense of you never hear anything negative, but you certainly don't let those negative planes land on the runway of your heart. You keep your heart full of faith based on the promise, and then you'll go over and you won't go under. Anyway, that's enough from that story a moment. I'm going to be mindful of time this morning. Jump over into Mark. And as I said, this is a similar story. Come into Mark chapter 4 with me, verse 35. I won't comment on all this because we've already covered some of it. But just as you go in there, let me just recap. When you get a word, you can go over and you don't have to go under. But understand, sometimes all hell will break loose between you having the promise and you having the manifestation of, you know, get into the promised land and seeing the fullness of it. And that's part of the journey. You just have to be careful what you see and what you hear. So important, because faith comes by hearing. Fear also comes by hearing. So hear and see the right thing. Anyway, this story real quick, Mark chapter 4, 
verse 35. Again, it's similar things, so I'm not going to dig into these. It'll just repeat what I've already said. But in this story, it says this. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Again, if, we're going to, if I say we're going to go over, we're not going to go under. Again, watch the circumstances as soon as he's spoken these words. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along as he was in the boat, and there were also other boats with him. Verse 37. Remember the last one, they were buffeted. In this one, it kicks up a few degrees. It says this, a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat. In other words, they were getting into their very life, so that it was nearly swamped. How many of you have had that happen when you've got a promise? And this isn't buffeting. This is, um, this is a, you know, a mad storm, and it's getting into your life, and you feel swamped. And so that was the situation here. Let me just say this real quick. This is one of the ways that an enemy works. A squall, I don't know if you know what that means. I didn't when I read it, so I looked it up. A squall means this. Listen to this. A sudden, violent gust of wind often accompanied by rain, just to add insult to injury, by rain, snow, or sleet. It's a sudden, violent gust of wind. In other words, from nowhere, this thing just hits you and catches you off guard. It means a sudden disturbance of conditions. Suddenlies in Scripture are amazing. And we haven't got time to get into this, but all over Scripture, you see the suddenlies of God breaking out. You know, people are going along, waiting for a promise, like the day of Pentecost, all the disciples, Dan quoted this earlier, you know, we're together in one place, um, and it says this, suddenly from heaven there came the sound hearing, and they saw tongues as a fire, but they saw and heard something. But this is how the New Testament was launched. A group of people that I think 40, 50 days earlier were locked up in a room that Jesus walked into, breathed on them, and now they're waiting for the fulfillment of the promise. In other words, this is the going over, the manifestation and then it comes suddenly. And that's how God often breaks in on our life. Suddenlies of God. And all of a sudden, the New Testament church is launched. There's 3,000 people saved in one day. There's signs, wonders, miracles, visions, trances, angels appearing. And that's normal New Testament church life. But it came because of a suddenly, based on previous promises, that this was the day that God was going to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. And as I said earlier, the devil will also often counterfeit what God does for blessing. And I found this in my life. As I've got more mature, not that I get it right all the time, I, I can grip myself when things start buffeting and going wrong and almost laugh. It's like, well, here we go. This is the buffeting stage, so my faith's going to grow. But what often catches people off guard is the suddenlies and the violence of an attack. Because an enemy's like that. He'll wait till you're tired, weak, vulnerable, emotionally upset, and then he'll come with a suddenly and try and knock the living daylights out of you. Take you, you know, out of left field. Just a sudden, something happens, and because you can't catch yourself quick enough, if you're not careful, you can find yourself getting engulfed by this squall, and all of a sudden, you start to go down. Um, a few years ago, well, actually, 16 years ago, when we first moved to Michigan, we lived in a log cabin for the first six months. And it when I say log cabin, don't picture, you know, rustic, rough place. This was nice, really nice log cabin. And it was on 10 acres. And I, I love cities and I love towns. That's what, that's what I do life, most of my life. And so we were all of a sudden blasted into rural community. 
like the first morning I got up, when I sat in the hot tub, because they had a hot tub in this place, overlooking 10 acres, and there's deer prancing through the garden. Now, I come from, you know, cities and towns in the UK. I don't think I'd ever seen a deer in my life. And I'm thinking, I should have a gun in the hot tub and just shoot stuff as he comes through the garden, <laughs> which I later found out was illegal. So um, don't tell many people some of the things I did on our private 10 acres. But uh, it was all sorts of creatures. Uh, snakes. I'd never seen snakes before. Woodchucks. You know, I thought that was a joke when I heard it. I thought, I thought it was a little creature that threw wood at people. Um, chuck, chucking wood. Anyway, woodchucks. Weird things. Tried shooting the thing about 10 times with a, with a pellet gun. Would not die. And uh, we actually had chipmunks. I don't know if any of you know what chipmunks are. Well, we didn't. You know, for the first three months, we had a guy come to the house and he used to catch the chipmunks. I'm not going to tell you how in case it's illegal. I don't want to get him in trouble. But he'd catch like 10 or 12 chipmunks every few days. And Ange didn't want to know about this stuff. Um, so whenever she heard the word chipmunk, in her mind, she thought chimpanzee. And so she thought we were living you know, on this property and there were chimpanzees swinging through the trees, which frightened the living daylights out of her. That's why she'd never go outside at, at dark. And uh, there were three months later, I mean, she's a prophet and very sharp, but some things she just doesn't get. And uh, she, she's thinking, chimpanzees. And she's thinking, how, how does Tim catch these chimpanzees? And how does he kill them? Anyway, that's the world we're in, just to paint the picture. Uh, yes, Tim. <coughs> well done. But don't tell anybody. Um, anyway, here's the story. We sit in one Saturday night in the living room downstairs. Kids are in bed. I'm already locked and loaded for Sunday morning, preached up, full of faith. <clears throat> I can't wait to go. So we're sitting down. So I, you know, I got faith in my heart. We're sitting down watching a movie, and um, all of a sudden, a suddenly happened. Let me just say, if I'd been in my right mind, I wouldn't have reacted like a little girl like I did. But this is what happened. Absolute true story, 100% accurate. We're sitting there, and all of a sudden, this bat comes flying down the stairs. And I'm not kidding you, it sounded like an albatross. You know, his wings. And uh, I'm sitting on the couch, Anne screams. I did like a little internal girl scream, which I didn't let out. And uh, what proceeded was nothing but embarrassing. You know, I thought, I'm, I'm, I'm Celtic, you know, like, um, remember Braveheart? Yeah, Welsh are Celtic, you know, we warriors, we fight. And so, as soon as I saw this bat, I'm thinking, i got to protect my dynasty. My kids are upstairs, my wife is on the couch. So, I just grab stuff, you know, stiletto shoe, throw it at the thing. I found a Wellington boot, threw it. I think I even threw a phone. Um, anything I could get my hands on, because my heart started racing, and I got very irrational. I'll tell you why in a moment. And um, anyway, so, you know, I'm trying to kill this thing. I did not know the bats have this mental sonic thing going on. So, they're blind, but they, they know when stuff's coming at them. And so I didn't know this. I couldn't figure out why I couldn't hit this bat. Um, anyway, eventually, I, I know this wasn't reality because bats can't see, but he ended up behind the curtains on the curtain rail with his little feet or whatever he's got, you know, evil claws, uh, gripping, the, gripping the bar, and he poked his little head up. It's like as if he's looking at me like, you know, come and have a go if you think you're hard enough. And uh, so I'm looking at this thing, and then my kids had a plastic golf set, which I finally got my hands on. So, so I got the... What's the one with the big thing on it? I don't do golf. Driver, I got the plastic driver. Crept up on him. I bumped him right on the head. I caught him off guard. And then he fell to the floor. And then I proceeded to bludgeon him to death. <laughs> with the dr plastic driver. 
broke the driver, and then it gets worse. Then I put him in a brown bag and stamped on him. Then I took him outside, put him in the trash can, and put trash on top of him, just in case he resurrected and came for revenge. Let me tell you why. Here's the link in my mind. When I was a little kid, about 10, 11, um, pre-Christ, let me just say this, my dad uh, used to go out on a Saturday night you know, to the snooker club, um, have a few beers, and then come home in time for match of the day, which was the highlights of the soccer for the day. Um, together, you know, he'd bring me a pop and some pork scratchings, totally healthy diet, and we'd sit up, watch match of the day, and then following match of the day was the horror double bill. Black and white. Lots of you are too young to remember this, but those of you that are older, remember this? Peter Cushing, Vincent Price, Boris Karloff, Christopher Lee. I mean, they're rubbish if you watch them now, but you know, you're 10, 11 years old, frightens the living snot out of you. And so we'd watch these films, and here's what happened. You know, Dracula, who was a bat, so these bats can turn into vampires. That's all I thought in that moment. You know, and they were always evil, and you know, they had these uh, capes, and they go. <laughs> and uh, they, they turn into this bat and fly away. So when I saw this bat coming down the stairs, I, my instant inner soul went to, these are vampires. You know, they're probably poisonous. This could manifest at some point, and then we're really in a mess. And then even back to my childhood. I remember watching Sesame Street when you were a kid. They got a vampire on Sesame Street. The Count. What on earth is wrong with these people? You know, the Count. I didn't figure out until the other day that he's called the Count because he does math. Never got that. I just, I'm thinking, where's this vampire counting? One, a two, three. I'll bite your blood vessels from your neck. Ah, ah, ah. And so, back into my childhood, I got this phobia of vampires. And then, in that moment, it manifested. And I got caught with it suddenly. And then, by the end of this ridiculous scenario that I just painted for you, I sit on the couch, I'm red, I'm sweating, and my heart is beating. And then when I eventually calm down, I think, that's right, I saved the day. And uh, then I processed everything that I just did, and I thought, you fool. Now, again, in the cold light of day, I would have dealt with this bat in such suave, sophisticated manner. You know, it would have been unbelievable to see. But in a moment, a suddenly, that was linked to my past, all of a sudden, I fall apart. That's how an enemy will get you. If you've learned to stand the buffeting and the wind being against you, he'll often throw you suddenly. And that's okay. I mean, I pulled myself together. Peter had one of those when he began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. But you just, in life, you've got to watch for the suddenlies of an enemy. And if they catch you and they wobble you, just get up, shake it off, put it in its right place, and start seeing and hearing the right thing again. And remember that I'm going over, I'm not going under. Anyway, just real quick in this story, because there's one thing this story adds that is not in the last one, but is a massive key to walking in faith. It says this, uh, where were we, 37, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. There is a position you can get to in faith when you just sleep through the storms of life, because the Prince of Peace has given you a piece of his peace and it rules and reigns in your heart. I mean, that's the ultimate goal, to just be in that place. But it says this, the disciples 
uh, Jesus was sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and asked him, Teacher, do you not care if we drowned? Watch this. He got up. He rebuked. To rebuke, you have to say something. He rebuked the wind. In other words, he spoke to what was contributing to the circumstances that were engulfing them. And he said to the waves, Quiet, be still. So he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And watch what Jesus goes after yet again. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? So Jesus' conclusion to what is going on again is, Look, you got gripped with fear again. I told you we were going over. We can't go under. It doesn't matter what squall comes up. And he says, why did you still have no faith? In other words, he's saying, if you just believed in me, you could have actually done what I did. And it's interesting you, and I've got to go quick on this, but he basically rebukes, and he says, one of the most powerful weapons you have is your tongue. Especially in the realm of faith. It's important what you see. It's important what you hear. But it is vital what you say. Sometimes it is an enemy, it's not circumstance, and it's not God, and you have to rebuke it. And again, we don't have time to get into that. You have authority, you know, your words in them have the power of life and death. That's why you only speak life. Your words frame and create your own future. So you speak based on what God has said, not on what circumstances are saying. But Jesus rebuked something, and there are times you've got to stand in your family, in circumstances, in situations, when, you know, this isn't just a little buffeting, this is a squall. And there are times that because of the depth and the magnitude of it, you have to rebuke an evil one. You have to tie up the man before you can plunder his house. And an enemy's at work, but we have authority. Uh, it's important that you speak. So he rebuked a situation, and then he spoke and said, peace, be still. And there are times in life you've just got to speak stillness and peace. And as you speak, it's like speaking the very words of God into the heavenlies. If God has given you a promise in his heart. It's not enough to just believe in your heart. You know, Jesus, when God created, the Godhead created the universe, he didn't just think a thought. They didn't just have an agreement within a belief system among the Trinity. It says this, God said. So what, what was going on in, in the internals, you know, of the Trinity had to be spoken for it to happen. And we have to speak for things to happen. And again, you know these scriptures. God does nothing in the earth unless he first announces it through the mouth of his prophets. And you need to be the prophet of your own future, your own destiny, and your own lives based on the promises that God has given you. And you can shift things in the heavenlies that manifest on the earth. And you can deal with a strong man in the invisible that then manifests because there's a loosening on the earth. But you have to speak. And uh, speaking is huge. I'm going to read one scripture to you. Don't turn there. You can check me out later when you go home if you want. It's Luke chapter 8, I think. No, it's not. It's Mark chapter 11. Bear with me one second. We'll close with this. Mark chapter 11. This is Jesus teaching on faith. He just cursed the, uh, the, what was it, the fig tree. And the disciples come back the following day and say, look, the fig tree you cursed is now dead. In other words, Jesus spoke words of death and it manifested. And on the back of that illustration, Jesus is about to teach them something amazing about faith. And if you read it, in verse 22 of Mark chapter 11, it says this. This is Jesus' teaching point now. 
after they've noticed the, the cursed withered, withered fig tree has died. He says this, have faith in God. More accurately translated, it says, have the God kind of faith. Have the God kind of faith. What's God's faith like? Very simple. What he believes, he speaks, and it happens. He says, have the God kind of faith, Jesus answered. Then he says, I tell you, if anyone says, everyone says, says, if everyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say, everyone say, say, will happen, it will be done for them. So it's not enough to just have belief in your heart. It's not enough to just hear and see the right things. You know, they proceed this, and it's speaking, it's rebuking, it's standing in authority, it's commanding elements on times to just be at peace and be still. It's commanding your own spirit and heart and soul on times to just be still. But you never see the full manifestation, and you never move in the God kind of faith until you've mastered speaking what God has said to you, speaking what you believe, and continually saying simple things like this. If God says I'm going over, I'm not going under. And I'll rebuke everything that would try and steal that promise from me. And if Jesus says, come, that's all I need. I'm going to walk on water, and I don't have to begin to sink if I just keep faith in my heart and believe that what he said. Just close your eyes real quick. Time's gone. I just want to pray a prayer. Today is not so much about an appeal and the laying on of hands. It's just simply walking in faith. And in your own worlds, personally, privately, corporately, they're the same principles. This is how God operated. It's a God kind of faith. So just a moment as we pause, just let the Holy Spirit paint on the canvas of your heart, in your imagination. Maybe remind you of some circumstances you're in, but he also remind you of the promise that was given. It's a going over promise. It's not a going under promise. And God's not punishing you. He won't test you beyond what you can stand. And if it's an enemy, just purpose that today, even when you go home, you just go to the secret place and you have some time with God and just align. This is where I begin. Align yourself again to the basic principles of faith. Align yourself, you know, to taking authority over things that are buffeting and bringing squall dynamics to your life. And just purpose to walk in faith and believe God. Then as the day goes on, as tomorrow goes on, as the week goes on, don't take things that just happen. Learn to speak, learn to rebuke, learn to command, learn to just frame your own future as you speak the prophetic words that God has given to you back to yourself. Father, thank you for your word today. Your word cannot return to you void. It has to accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. So for every word today that was of you and was anointed, let it bear fruit in people's hearts. Teach this group of people, teach me, teach us all how to walk in faith and see the full manifestation of the promises of God that we go over and never go under. And no matter what comes against us, we are strong because we know God and we can do great exploits because that's who you've made us to be in Christ. And everybody said, thank you, Jesus, and amen, amen and amen. All right, thanks, God.